We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, June 30th. Nick Whalen back with Alex Barutha. Alex, yet again, we don't have a ton of news at this point. We're, we're kind of in this waiting period where players are starting to trickle back into their home markets. Uh, we're going to have teams starting to transition to Orlando in the coming weeks. Uh, of course, a lot of international players went home for the last few months. So a, a lot of the the delay, I guess, for lack of a better word, is getting those guys back over, making sure everyone is quarantined before heading to Orlando. Um, but with that, you know, we've seen DeAndre Jordan on Monday night officially announced that that he will not be going to Orlando as a member of the Nets. His teammate Spencer Dinwiddie also uh, announced that he has coronavirus. Uh, we, he, he did. He stopped short of actually confirming that he won't play in Orlando. I get a feeling that he probably won't based on the fact that like an hour after we found out that he tests positive, D 
DeAndre comes out and says he tests positive and isn't playing, obviously they're already without both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Um, and I think, you know, DeAndre just really not even seemingly like considering going to Orlando kind of shows me where the, at, at least for the older guys, you know, the, the foundation of that team, DeAndre uh, Durant and Kyrie, like where their head is at with all this. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, if, if Spencer Dinwiddie follows suit and essentially singles that, that the, the Nets are kind of going to wave the white flag, uh, when they head to Orlando. That is what it seems like. Um, yeah, Wilson Chandler also not going. Not oh, that yeah. that matters a ton, but uh, it. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you where I think there are, you know, there will be potentially some teams, and maybe I, maybe it will just be the Nets who kind of wave the white flag, depending on who catches coronavirus. Because uh, if Dinwiddie's gone, they really have like no chance at all. And you can understand, like, even other players staying home. Like, maybe Karis LeVert would play, et cetera. I don't yeah, know, man. It's hard to I, say where they draw the line. I mean, they were already going to be out of it no matter what, because as soon as KD and Kyrie confirmed that they weren't playing, you know, the, the Nets' fate was essentially sealed. But they're in an interesting spot where, like, they're not locked into the playoffs. You know, it's not like they can just throw Chris Chioza out there for 48 minutes and cruise to the playoffs. Like, if they... If they truly send a skeleton crew that has no KD, no Kyrie, no DeAndre, no Dinwiddie, no Wilson Chandler, you know, potentially another guy or two, if if what you're suggesting could happen, I, I think that would be great for the Wizards, right? I mean, the the Nets are only yep. five and a half or six games right now up on Washington, and I, I think there's a pretty decent chance that you know Orlando could maybe pass Brooklyn, and then we get into a, a dicey scenario for the Nets where they they have that four game cushion. Uh, that they would need to get above to to end up clinching the eight seed without that uh, little mini play-in tournament. Yeah, and the the Nets more than any other team can wait have like an argument for well, we just care about next year. Right. As more than any other team in the league can just be like, you know what, it's not happening this year. We're just gonna wait. We're gonna try to keep our core guys healthy, uh, like Dinwiddie, Lavert, DeAndre, etc. Like <laughs> everybody that matters. We're gonna try to keep yep. them healthy. And um, you know, I, I don't know if they're a team that would benefit as much from the playoff experience as you might want. Like, I can see an argument for the, you know, the Wizards being like, hey, we'd like Beal to get some playoff experience. We have young guys at the roster. Like, maybe it's worth more to get Hachimura some playoff experience rather than try to get, like, the the 12th pick compared to the 16th pick and what's supposed to be a weak draft anyway. Um, right. I, I yeah. can kind of no, see well, that. They have Shabazz Napier as well. <laughs> like to get him they some do. experience. Uh, Mo Wagner. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, I, I think with Brooklyn, from a, from like a fan and a front office perspective, I, I think you're totally fine with that. Um, you know, if you're a Nets fan, like I said, as soon as those two top two guys confirm that they weren't coming back, you know, I think your expectations drop off considerably. But I mean, if I'm Karis Levert, I, I think you have you have the built-in concern of a potential injury. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago on a call with the league, you know, it became public that I think guys like Donovan Mitchell, De'Aaron Fox, Jason Tatum, Bam Adebayo, uh, you know, that that age of player who are coming up on what will be their first big extensions, you know, express some concerns about getting possible insurance, you know, if they were to get hurt under these uni- unique circumstances. Um, right. You know, Levert obviously has a an extension already, uh, but also has a, a lengthy injury history that dates all the way back to college. So th- there might be some concerns in the back of his mind, but you look at the last 16 games before the shutdown for Levert, 33 minutes per game. He averaged 24 points, five and a half assists, five rebounds, 1.7 steals, 
41% from three, 45% from the field, 80% at the line. I mean, I, I, if, if you're him, I think you kind of want to get to Orlando and prove that that wasn't just a fluke and, you know, show this team that even as there are question marks about what, you know, what the supporting cast might look like next year, I, I think if I'm LeVert, I want to prove I could be the number three guy behind KD and Kyrie next season and, you know, using those eight and potentially more games in Orlando uh, to do that. I agree, you know, and, and at the very least, if, you know, the, the, the Nets feel like they want to trade him for somebody, him playing well would just prove or would just up his trade value and he could get into a better role or a bigger role on a different team, potentially. But I agree. I mean, I think this is probably the best opportunity for Levert. I mean, because by the time all this is second done, he could be very well the best player left on the Nets by a wide margin playing in this restart. And so getting to see him in that role would be pretty interesting for, I guess, for, for casual fans, for the front office, for like diehard fans, for other teams. So I, I think, you know, in a lot of these situations, even if key players are gone or that they choose not to play or whatever it is, um, there will be a lot of interesting opportunities to see different like guys in different roles and bigger roles that you probably yep. would have never seen them in in, uh, in in a normal scenario. And I think right. for a lot of people, that will just be really interesting. Yeah, and I think Levert's the first guy who would come to mind, especially if Dinwiddie doesn't end up playing. He is far right. and away the number one guy on that yeah. team. And, and like you said, I, I don't think... You know, I think I think it depends on the personality type. I think some guys would love to be the number three behind KD and Kyrie, especially somebody who's Levert's age, who you know really hasn't won at all at any level uh, in the NBA. You know, you probably who wouldn't want to be a part of that team? I guess is what I'm trying to say. But there are other guys who might be wired differently, and and as you alluded to, use this as kind of a continuation of a of an audition to maybe go be the number one or number two guy somewhere else. And I think there's a chance that you know if KD and Kyrie say we want somebody else. Karis LeVert's the number one guy that you'd be lining up to trade both for the way he closed out the regular season and his contract status. You know, he's, he's very easily the the number one piece I think that you'd look to move. And, you know, Jared Allen and, and Dinwiddie are probably on that list as well. But um, I, I think that'll be something, you know, that's really interesting to monitor. And like you said, if, even if Dinwiddie's there, you know, I think LeVert is still probably the number one guy. And if he, even if they fall out of the playoffs, you know, they, they play eight or nine games. If he can average, 25 and six throughout that span. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that kind of sets him up in, in an interesting spot heading into the offseason. One thing we did not hit on last week, uh, at least not in too much depth, is the loss of Avery Bradley for the Lakers. And, you know, it's been almost a week since he announced that decision, so we, we don't have to go super deep on it. But I'm of the belief that this is a bigger deal than a lot of people uh, have seemed to be willing to admit. I mean, this is a, a guy who was starting for the Lakers, I, who I think was their pretty easily their best guard defender. I, I know he has some limitations in terms of his height. Um, you know, when you, when you're talking about who's going to guard Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, uh, when, when it gets down to the West finals, they still have KCP who's the way he's played this season, you know, is actually a fairly worthy replacement at shooting guard. You still have Danny green, uh, who's been huge for them, but it gets pretty bleak after that. You know, this is a team that already had very shaky guard depth. You know, was playing Rajon Rondo probably more than Frank Vogel wanted to. I, I think we see more Alex Caruso, which is probably a net positive based on how he's played this season. But you get beyond KCP, Danny Green, Alex Caruso, Rajon Rondo. You're in Deion Waiters, J.R. Smith, Quinn Cook territory. 
at least one of those that, guys is going to have to play real minutes on most nights. Yes, I um, I'm probably uh, I'm probably a bigger fan of like KCP and Alex Caruso than most people. Like I think I I I probably hold them in a higher regard than I think a lot of other people do. But I mean, losing Avery Bradley does hurt because he's a way better ball handler than someone like KCP or Danny Green. And the Lakers have very few options uh, in terms of like playmaking guards outside of Rondo, who is very much like a love hate player at at this point. And that's probably <laughs> that's probably saying the best thing about him. Uh, and so I I mean, they'll survive like with Caruso and J.R. Smith. I don't really have a ton of faith in Quinn Cook. I know he can hit threes, but their guard depth is horrible and like your guard depth doesn't need to be awesome when you have LeBron and when you have AD and that's how you run most of your offense but at, at the same time it's like like desperately bad uh compared to most other competitive right. <laughs> competitive teams in the NBA I think losing Avery Bradley in a vacuum isn't that big of a deal but when you consider the roster context it becomes a major deal does that make sense and I think yes. the other thing to consider is like I said, they were already kind of up against the wall in terms of guard depth. What if somebody gets hurt now? Like, what if KCP rolls his ankle or even Caruso rolls his ankle? Like, then you're talking, is Deion Waiters playing 25 minutes off the bench? Like, is J.R. Smith going to have to play 13 minutes off the bench? That's probably more than you want any of those guys on the floor. And I think, you know, they have the ability to go big. You know, you could go JaVale, Davis, Markeith Morris, Danny Green, LeBron at point guard if you have to you know so that is something to consider like LeBron kind of counts in their guard depth um but at the same time you know that then that means you're you're drastically reducing the talent level at small forward or power forward where you're, where you'd otherwise play LeBron so I, I think it hurts them quite a bit defensively um I, I think it was I mean it's an admirable decision by Bradley certainly and I'm, I'm glad that there doesn't at least not that I've seen there hasn't been a lot of like pushback towards him personally um but it's a big loss, and I'm, I'm actually pretty surprised that that he ended up making that decision, given you would think the amount of pressure that would be on him from the organization, from teammates, whether they say it or not. You know, you, you think there'd be a lot of built-in pressure, given that you're on the Los Angeles Lakers. I, I think it's it's a lot easier to opt out if you're on the seven seed Nets than it is the one seed Lakers. No question, um, and I'm glad to see, like you mentioned, that most. That I haven't I haven't seen any negative comments towards him at all, which is odd for NBA. Twitter I even I even seek them out. I was searching on Twitter like right. using the keywords I thought people would use, and I, I could I, there were a few, but I really couldn't <laughs> find much, not from anybody who mattered. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. And I, I think I think you're right to point out that maybe they'll just go big, like maybe we really won't see almost any Anthony Davis at center. Yeah. Um, you know, and they might just kind of, you know, do what they can playing like basically one guard lineups. And I think that probably makes the most sense because their talent is loaded in that way. Yeah. Um, it'll be really interesting because we haven't seen too many teams uh, do that necessarily. Like a couple, you know, there are teams that come to mind, like the 76ers specifically, you know, their starting lineup is, you know, ridiculous, like as far as their height and size. But um, I think, I, I mean, it, it's, it, it provides some, like interesting matchup opportunities and stuff. I'm just, I, I'm interested to see how they approach it during the, you know, during the eight game regular season that we have left. The last thing I'll say on Bradley, you don't think of him as a three point shooter, but career 36 and a half percent. He was, he's right on that number this season. He's had years where he shot just under 40%. 
Um, and this is you know very anecdotal and and somewhat recency bias um, in in terms of when the last games were played. But in those three big wins that that the Lakers had before or four, I should say, four big wins right before the break over the Pelicans, Sixers, Bucks, and Clippers consecutively. Avery Bradley was a plus five uh, against New Orleans, a plus 24 in a 13-point win over Philly, a plus 23 in a 10-point win over Milwaukee, and a plus 13 in a nine-point win over the Clippers. And in that Clipper game, uh, you know, this seems like forever ago, he was six of 12 from three in that game. Like They do not win that, that game without Avery Bradley playing the game that he did. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I'm looking right now at like the, the Lakers best, you know, defensive lineups and almost all of them contain Avery Bradley three or yeah. Three of the top four have Avery Bradley in them in terms of, you know, like points per possession. So I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big loss and he can get hot on offense. Uh, as we've seen before, like we saw last season when he got traded to the Grizzlies and be, became like a point guard for them that was very weird uh but yeah we'll see so let's see trying to decide where we want to go next let's let's talk about the schedule which came out um late last week and um yeah i i don't think there are a ton of surprises here you know we obviously know the 22 teams that are going to be there uh I, i think some people who maybe don't don't know the context of of how the schedule was made were a little bit surprised at how it shakes out for certain teams. Like I, the initial reaction, I think the first team that they released on ESPN when they were doing this live schedule release show was the Lakers. And then they compared it to the Clippers and the Lakers schedule is quite a bit easier, but you have to keep in mind that the schedule makers tried to mirror the projected difficulty of the rest of the schedule. And, and the Lakers schedule was, was going to be fairly tough. It was, it was kind of backloaded for national TV reasons, um, which, which we talked about earlier this season. So it makes sense that they should have a little bit of a, a projected tougher road during these eight games uh, than the Clippers. But I was beyond shocked, Alex, to see that on opening night or reopening night on July 30th, we get the Lakers and the Clippers as the the premier primetime game at eight o'clock on that Thursday. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's perfect, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, you you want to make sure that people get hooked right away, I think. And that's mm-hmm. the easiest way to do it is just put the biggest market, have the biggest market, play the biggest market uh, and, you know, potential Western Conference finals preview. I uh, I mean, this is the right thing to do, even if it doesn't you know, fit perfectly with what was supposed mm-hmm. to happen. Um, I, I don't know who's going to complain about it. No, no, not at all. And I'm, I'm glad that they're matching up one more time. And I, I think it's smart to make it the first game because. You know, if, if you made it like the seventh game for the Lakers or the eighth game for the Clippers, very good chance that guys are sitting out at that point. Yeah. These teams have already played three times. Um, I, I don't feel like they need they probably don't feel like they need to feel the other out anymore. Um, but it's going to be pretty difficult. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure to play these guys in this first game back and not not to suggest that, you know, LeBron and AD and Kawhi don't want to play. But um, I think the league knows exactly what it's doing with that opening night schedule. Um I asked you, and then I did this myself, to kind of look through uh, that two-plus week uh, schedule before the playoffs and and pick out some games that either just kind of catch your eye from a viewership perspective or are going to be huge in terms of what they mean for the playoff race. Uh, really just any games that that you're going to enjoy watching. And, and we'll have a, an article up on the site uh, kind of breaking those down 
either later tonight or, or sometime Wednesday. Uh, what, what was what was one um, going off of your list that that you want to start with and break down? Uh, I mean, I think I, I, if we're talking about like you know potential playoff matchups or you know it's going to be like a lot of Lakers and Bucks and Clippers stuff, but I'm kind of interested to see the Lakers play the Rockets again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Rockets' first game with Robert Covington in the lineup came against the Lakers, and I think they won, right? Uh, the Rockets. Yeah, I don't know if it was the first, but yeah, it was early in that in that experience or experiment. Sure, and um, so I'm kind of interested to see how the Rockets deal with the size of the Lakers, especially mm-hmm. now that we both of us, I think, think that they might go big again. And I think that will be really interesting because you know the Rockets are going. I mean, the there's a lot of uh, very good centers in the Western Conference that they're just going to potentially have to deal with. Um, you know, they're going to have to deal with. Uh, AD and Dwight and everyone on the Lakers and they might have to go through Jokic and there's Gobert on the Jazz, although the Jazz are kind of, you know, weaker now without Bogdanovich, yeah. but still. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even Valanciunas yeah. is someone who could tear them up and um, if they somehow end up facing Portland, you know, that kind of and, and that's another game I'm interested in is like Rockets Trailblazers because you know, how is both, how how are the two, I mean, these teams talk about opposites right you have Nurkic and Whiteside on one team and then like zero centers on the Rockets so I'm I, those are the kind of that's the kind of matchup I'm I'm interested in to see how the Rockets especially uh deal with it so I had a Rockets game on my list as well I went with Bucks Rockets which comes to us on Sunday August 2nd so that's the that first weekend when things open up uh, this is going to be a national tv game as well um I think when you're talking about the Rockets, it's always going to be how do they handle size because we just didn't get enough of a sample, I don't think. And they, they've played so well with this new lineup and they've also had some stretches where they didn't play well. So it was kind of hard to figure out the exact direction that this was going. But I mean, what tougher test for this defense than having to go against this Bucks team with Giannis, you know, not necessarily having somebody, you know, like like the guys who have really given Giannis trouble over the years are who? Al Horford, Joel Embiid. Um, you know, not necessarily the the quick, uh, you know, strong wing types, you know, like a LeBron or a Kawhi or a, or a PJ Tucker. Like those guys have been OK against him. But the very few times that he's actually struggled, it's been long, big centers who who are fairly mobile and can recover quickly and contest at the rim. The Rockets intentionally purged anybody who fits that description from their <laughs> roster. So I think this is the ultimate test for them. And I kind of forgot that this was the case. But in, in researching for this, these teams haven't played since opening night. You know, that, that was the first game of the season for Milwaukee. It was back on October 24th, I should say. So the the Bucks have not seen the new look Rockets and the Rockets have the new look Rockets have not seen the Bucks in quite a long time. So I, I think that's going to be a really interesting one. And, and I'm glad that that the NBA was able to fit this matchup in during that eight game return. Yeah, Giannis is someone who kind of breaks that that mold of like, you know, the Rockets figure they can like play swarming team defense against traditional centers. But Giannis, as like the seven foot, you know, I freak that he is, can play center and it's just uh, is just unreal. And it's not the kind of player that the Rockets, I think, scheme for necessarily. Um, no, yeah. not at all. Not that he can be schemed for, but I think he's the exact type of guy that, you know, would give this particular arrangement that they've set up a ton of trouble. Right. And I, th- I kind of I kind of feel the same way about Anthony Davis in terms of like the Rockets game plan. And I kind of, it, it, to maybe a lesser extent, LeBron, who um, 
could play center. I, we saw him. I, I mean, we've seen him at times be like the tallest player on the court in certain matchups, which is wild. But I feel like that's always an advantage for the team that LeBron's on, or it's always an advantage for the team that Anthony Davis or Giannis is on when they're the tallest player on the court. I feel like that's an advantage for them. Um, yeah, I had a I had another game in mind, but I lost it. Um, oh, like um, you, you were talking about centers that can that have historically done well against Giannis. Bam Adebayo came to mind for me. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm definitely I think the Bucks play the Heat, don't they? I'm like 99% sure they do. Um, I will blindly yeah, they take do. the word for it while I look it up. Thursday, okay. Thursday, August 6th, uh, Bucks play the Heat. Mark it down. And I expect the Bucks to win, but they've also lost both games against the Heat this season. And I think a lot of that does have to do with Bam Adebayo's defense on Giannis, who I, I've seen over the past couple of years. It's just like he has a really hard time. I think Bam's like the, the perfect body type, the perfect kind of yeah. athlete to guard him. And then you have Jimmy Butler and now Iguodala and Jay Crowder who can just hound uh, Chris Middleton. Yeah. Um, I think I think it'll I, I I do think the Heat are a a, a bad matchup uh, for the Bucks, even though obviously the talent level is a huge disparity. Yeah. One well, another thing too, I think you have to factor in when you talk about Miami is the fact that all like rap and EDM concerts have been canceled. So you really don't have to worry about Tyler hero, you know, showing up out of shape or staying out till four in the morning. Like he just, he just doesn't even have that option right now. Yeah. I mean, unless he's inviting people over to his, you know, apartment throwing house parties. <laughs> I would imagine that there's a chance that that's happened. Did you see the, the new tattoo that he debuted? I did. No work, no uh, check. <laughs> I saw I saw I saw people being like, "Wow, he like hero, basically a freelance journalist." Uh, <laughs> same mentality. Yeah, more or less. Uh, okay, so a couple other games that I have on my list: uh, Sixers Pacers. This is one that you know I don't think it's like the most appealing game. Like the Pacers, the Pacers have a better record than the Sixers, which I don't know that uh, that's been talked about enough. But I think people just are perpetually bored with Indiana, no matter what. But I, I think this game has some huge like, injury question marks that are going to be answered in terms of what does Ben Simmons look like? Last time we saw him, he could barely walk. His back injury was so bad. Um, Joel Embiid was banged up kind of all through the the time before and after the All-Star break. And then on the Indiana side, Victor Oladipo, who had just kind of started to play a little bit better right before the shutdown. I, I think he averaged like 20 points and shot 40% from three over his last four games. But he also missed four of the last 10 games, I believe it was, for Indiana. You know, he'd, he'd play well, and then he'd miss a game, and then he'd, you know, play well, and then miss two games because the knee was still bothering him. Um, and we haven't really gotten a, a, a clear update on, on what's going on with that situation. But until we hear otherwise, I, I feel like you have to assume that, you know, a nearly five-month layoff can only help Victor Oladipo, who clearly was still not at 100% when we last saw him in mid-March. You would think that would be the case, but there was also an update, I guess, June 20th, that I, I, I think he's right now in the middle of like testing his quad. Yeah. The report said that he was getting his quad evaluated and that it's possible the time off is detrimental when trying to go back into like taking the time off and going back into regular games is actually potentially bad. Mm. So 
you do want to assume that he'll be there, but it's not exactly clear right now. If he's not there, obviously this game becomes a lot less interesting. The Pacers and the playoffs become a lot less interesting. But I agree with you that seeing these teams kind of face off is, um, you know, it's it's an exciting team versus a boring team. And if you, I, I, I don't want to say most people would assume the 76ers have a better record than the Pacers, but um, the talent level would definitely suggest right. that. And I, I, I think you're right. It may not be a matchup that a lot of people tune tune into, but I think it'll be kind of informative, especially if Oladipo yeah. does play. So I also have Mavericks Kings on my list, and the reason for that is I've been kind of I don't want to say bandwagon. That's way too strong. I don't I don't think the Kings are going to make the playoffs, but I I just think that they deserve to be in the discussion more than they have been based only on the fact that in terms of record, they're right there with Portland and new Orleans, you know? So I, I'm not saying that they're as talented as those teams are as consistent as those teams, but mathematically they're going to be right there in terms of having an opportunity. So I, I think they at least need to be in the discussion. I'm willing to cross off the Spurs and I'm willing to cross off the Suns for, for a couple of different reasons. But I think until Sacramento comes out and like just gets blown out in their first three games, in Orlando, they have to at least be in the conversation. And the schedule is pretty favorable. They they start out at San Antonio, which I guess doesn't even matter. Neutral, obviously. Um, so they'll play a, a depleted San Antonio team that will not have LaMarcus Aldridge to start. Then they'll play Orlando, which is probably a 50-50 game, if not maybe slightly in favor of, of Sacramento. And then the game that I, that I actually have highlighted is Sacramento and Dallas on August 4th. And... This is their their first game, I think, against a superior opponent and an opponent that you know needs this game as bad as they do. You know, I, I think Dallas was is going to probably do all it can to stay out of that seven spot and avoid the Clippers or the Lakers in round one. So this is a game that conceivably Dallas will really want to win. This is a game that obviously Sacramento is going to want to win, and and I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see. You know, this is kind of the make or break game, I guess, for Sacramento. You know, if let's say they win those first two games. You know, this would kind of be a message, I think, with five games then left, um, that Sacramento is very much in this race. If they go one and one against the Spurs and the Magic and then get blown out by Dallas, you know, maybe that's kind of the death knell for the Kings. But um, the final point I have on them is they they play Dallas on the fourth, then it's the Pelicans two days later, and then they finish out with the Nets, the Rockets, the Pelicans again. Uh, those will both be huge games, obviously. And then they finish out with the Lakers as their final game. And by that point, I would almost guarantee that the Lakers will not be at full strength. So you're looking at a schedule that really only has like three or four games that you would circle as being really difficult for Sacramento, which I think plays to their advantage. I agree. I'm, I'm glad you pointed this game out. Um, I think, yeah, you're right. They could get two easy wins or should be two easy wins. Uh, and they Games might be that able they carry can that. at least win. Yes. They should be able to carry that momentum into the Mavericks game. Um, I'm kind of with you that like I, we talked about, I think it was the last podcast. I think their odds, what their odds for the AFC are like eight to one, basically nine to one. Um, and I think that's I, like, I'd want better odds on that, but I also can understand like, cause I, I don't, I don't really think the Kings are that much worse than the Grizzlies. Like, I don't think they're significantly worse than the Grizzlies. If you had them play seven game, uh, a seven game series, I'm sure the Grizzlies would be favored, but I'd be shocked if it was like less than six games. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we should expect, obviously, 
the other teams, like you mentioned, Portland, New Orleans, um, Memphis, to probably be the ones to get that A seed. But no one should be shocked if somehow, uh, maybe that's not the right word. It's it's definitely feasible for yeah. Sacramento extremely, to get in the playoffs. And if they win, if they win the first three, if they win three in a row, then uh, that's yeah. I mean that's huge. We're only playing eight games here. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the Kings. So, I, again, I'm totally aware of what's coming out of my mouth. There's a reason that this game that we just talked about, Dallas and Sacramento, is at 1.30 p.m. on a Tuesday. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, I guess I can relate a note to that. I really I really like that none of these games. I don't think any of the games start later than 9 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, you're all, you're obviously you're in the Eastern time zone for every single one. Yeah. I was going to ask you, in general, like, how do you feel about – you know, if you just kind of if you just kind of comb through day by day, for example, on Sunday, August 9th, we are treated to seven games that will start at 1130 p.m. or 1130 a.m., excuse me, our time central and go all the way until a 8 p.m. start between Brooklyn and the Clippers that night. I mean, I think <laughs> I don't think this would work under normal circumstances, oh, no. but especially for us, I love this. Uh, you know, for people, we're, we're still at home, uh, working from home every day, basically. And the fact that we'll have basketball pretty much from when, I, I mean, you know, depending on what our shifts are, but like I'll have basketball from pretty much the moment that I start working until the moment yeah. that I stop working, as opposed to what our normal schedule would be, which would be, we work and then we come home and there's basketball on. Right. And so the constant like flow of, Hey, there's a game at, there's going to be a game at noon. And then the last game will probably end, uh, you know, sometime around 10 or 11 p.m. is like perfect. And oh, you, yeah. You can, you can watch almost every game. It doesn't feel overwhelming. Um, and you're really only going to be watching competitive teams. So, yeah. like, it's perfect for us. And it's perfect for a lot of other people who work at home. Right. Uh, and I think a lot of people are going to watch those games. And it's going to be great. Uh and I, I wish there was a way to do this all the time, but yeah. obviously circumstances have led to this. Yeah, I mean, we're in the unique position that whether we're in the office or not, you know, we have TV access and can watch all these games. But that is a good point. I didn't really think of that, that chances are by late July, early August, most of the country is still going to be working from home. And I, I, unless your company is extremely strict, I don't know what's to stop people from just having it on in the background. You know, when you're yeah, I mean, if you're home on a Monday and you want to flip on Nuggets Thunder at 3 p.m., on August 3rd. I don't know what's going to stop you from doing that, but um, I mean, not that anybody cares about our actual workflow, but yes, this is a huge godsend. Like you said, usually we're working during the day when there's no games and then you have to come home and kind of, I wouldn't say put out fires, but when, you know, there, there are games and things that are happening from 6 PM sometimes until one in the morning, you know, and at this point it's, it's going to really spread things out throughout the day. Um, and it's going to be awesome for us, but I don't think people care that much about that. We can eventually do like a deep dive into our daily work lives uh, on another <laughs> episode. Let's see. I want to talk a little bit about the decision, which has come back into the news. There was that ESPN special uh, that aired on Sunday night, uh, kind of doing a, a look back on that. And, and a few other podcasts and a few other programs have kind of just started to take a look back since it's, it's going to be a full decade now uh, since it actually went down. We're coming up on almost exactly 10 years early next month. Where, where were you at the time? What were your thoughts at the time? Were you as into the NBA then as you are now? Did you burn any jerseys in your parents' driveway? Uh, like, what, what was just kind of overall, where was your headspace at the time of the decision in, in July of 2010? 
I didn't burn any jerseys. Um, I don't. I don't. The thing is, I don't exactly remember. I like. I. I want to say. I think I was shocked that he left. Uh, but also like kind of understood, you know, where he was coming from. Um, I mean, that may have been the start of. That was probably. I mean, you were talking about the an era that I think people kind of almost forgotten about. I mean, depending on how old you are, where like is LeBron clutch? Like that was a real question. Like people oh, yeah. weren't even ready to debate whether he was as good as Jordan because you know, he's not clutch in the finals and blah blah blah. And it's like you can understand how that like wore on him and he wanted to change the scenery. But as far as the decision itself, like I the thing is I'm not like super. I wasn't. I I just think it's bad that he did it and then went somewhere else. Like I, I think I think if he had done the decision and then came back to Cleveland, I think that would have been awesome. Yes, but I think the fact that he changed teams, I think that's what made it bad, is is kind of, uh, and I know that's like kind of putting like that the ends justify the means sort of a thing, but yeah. I I that's how I feel. Totally agree. I think I don't remember thinking this at the time. Like I, I definitely remember in like the forty eight hours before the decision not being surprised that he went to Miami. I remember being very surprised when I when that first came into being as as being so realistic um but like the more you read it was like it, it really seemed like it was going that way and you know i don't know that i thought critically about it at the time but it, looking back he wasn't going to do an hour-long tv special in the middle of rural connecticut and then just come back to the caps right i, I just i don't think <laughs> that makes for i don't think that makes for good tv yeah i don't i don't think he was going to announce that i think uh, it was at like the 28 minute mark you know they took 28 minutes for him to announce the decision and then there was kind of a little post game where he talked a little bit about it. I just, if he had chosen the Cavs, then what? You know, it would, it would have just, that kind of would have been the end of it. So looking back and knowing it was an hour long show, I think that was almost kind of a hint that he wasn't coming back. Uh, but it's pretty obvious based on the reactions that a lot of the people watching were not aware uh, or at least believed that he was going to announce he was coming back. Yeah, it seems like uh, if you knew how long the program was, it's like, why would you need an hour to justify staying? You know what I mean? Like, why would you take that time? I don't know. It feels like you would build up to like a an event of like leaving and like like you mentioned like a post game thing and um yeah I I just think it I guess it is hard to imagine um it's it's hard to imagine this happening again from any player. And, okay, so um, so so I agree. I just want to stop you there. I agree, but did it not happen with KD, or what was what what separates KD? Was it just where he signed? Uh, what do you mean the fact that he like made it an article? Oh, you mean like the TV special itself? Yes. Okay, I sorry. I thought you meant the backlash. Okay. No, no, no. I mean the the actual like. It, I don't think another player will ever do the decision. No. Because of this. And, I, I agree. But, I think LeBron could have done it, though, in 2014, weirdly enough. I think he could have done the same thing and announced he was coming back. To <laughs> and it, and I'm serious. I think he could have done it. He could have been it could have been a little more tactful. And I think people would have loved it. Like people, everybody, even Miami fans were like on board with him coming back. I think everyone would have known then, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like everyone would have known what was coming. Sure. And that makes it less exciting. But I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't envision anyone else doing it. And I. But at the same time, I don't think any player, I, I'm i not sure any player with like less 
influence or like worse than LeBron could have like pulled it off and it would have been interesting. Like Kemba Walker couldn't have done the decision. Right. You know what I mean? Like it, t- it had to take someone like LeBron. <laughs> and I think someone, I, I think if it wasn't LeBron, it would have eventually been someone else. I think yeah. someone would have done this eventually. I think this idea was in the ether enough yep. to where a big enough star would have done this. And there probably would have been backlash, and it just happened. It just happened to be LeBron James, and I think it was a mistake. But I think you're totally right, and I I would bet that we see something similar again as time passes. I, I think, and and especially because players don't they don't need ESPN anymore. You know, I think so many players either have their own production company or they have direct ties to a production company that they could just put out a video or a live broadcast on Twitch or Twitter or whatever. I, you know, I, I don't I don't think you need. It doesn't need to be this grand production. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I I do agree with you that there is, because it was LeBron, there was enough interest to justify it. And ESPN's justification has always been, look, this was one of our highest rated live programs ever. Like, say what you will, whether you, even if you hated what you saw, you still watched it. So for them, it was a win. Um, and I think from that perspective, it's still, it's still attractive to broadcasters. You know, like if, if Kawhi Leonard had reached out to ESPN this past summer and said, Hey, what do you think about me announcing my decision? Maybe not in an hour-long telecast, but as like a little 20-minute featurette as part of SportsCenter or something like that. I don't think ESPN is just like, nope, sorry, that didn't work with LeBron. We didn't like how how the backline. Like, of course they would do it. Like, it, people would watch it, even if even if you're not a Kawhi fan, even if you desperately wanted him to stay in Toronto, you were still going to watch. So, I don't think that door is slammed shut. I do agree that it has to be. You have to be like a top five player, or it would be you would just get absolutely roasted, right? Like if Gordon Hayward tries to announce where he's signing next year on like a half hour special on the history channel. You know, people aren't going to watch that. Didn't Paul George do this? Yeah. Paul George, my journey on ESPN. Yeah. Uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. And that was kind of more of like a mini documentary, right? Yes. I think it's a half hour. Yeah. From what I can tell it was a three parter and each part was like five to 10 minutes. And I did. I mean, I don't, did anybody watch that? I didn't watch it. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just being reminded that it even happened. Where I don't think anyone has to remind anyone that the decision happened. <laughs> right. And to, but you're but you're right in that there will I think be players like we've seen like Paul George who do or even Kevin Durant with like releasing an athletic article uh, or whatever it was at the time. I think that was it. That eventually became a meme uh, right. with like people swapping out the logo on its jersey. Still going strong too. I still think it's funny. I laugh every uh, time, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I don't I don't think... I, I think uh, we are in the player empowerment era, as cliche as that is to say, and I think the decision, the idea of the decision completely fits within, like, today's dynamic of, like, players versus teams. So yeah. trying to do the decision but differently in a way that just almost can't create backlash, I think is a line that a lot of players and agents are just going to want to walk from, from here on out. I think it's also worth noting that the LeBron situation is probably one of a kind where you not only have, yeah, I mean, every, by that point, like LeBron mania, I guess, for lack of a better term is in like full swing, you know, even though he hadn't won a title, he was very clearly the best player in the league. I don't think there was any debate at that point. Kobe had, had probably handed off the crown a year or two ago, um, even even though he had just won a, like a, his fifth title. Um, I, you know, I, I don't Kobe. I, by that point, if if you really knew and cared about basketball, you knew Kobe wasn't the best player in the league. It was far enough away from Jordan. Like LeBron had 
had fully become LeBron by this point. And he's from Cleveland. He very publicly fails to win the title there for several consecutive years with teams that I would argue weren't that good, but, you know, record wise, we're, we're the best team in that conference. So, you know, by default, we're, we're the favorites to, to go to the finals and, and didn't end up making it. So there was just like a, a crazy confluence of events with, like I said, him being from Ohio, him playing for this crappy team, being the, but at that point was, he was known as the nice jovial guy. Like his personality now compared to then is, is night and day. Um, and then, you know, to, to go where he went at a time when guys just didn't do that, you know, like it, it, Brian Windhorst did a good job on his pod the other day of, of kind of breaking down the situation, how it very quickly went from so many teams had cap space that summer. And it was all about getting a big two. Everybody wanted to get a big two. And then somebody planted the idea. And I don't know if it was Dwayne Wade's head or, or LeBron's head. That's like, why don't we just get three? And then that took off. And then it's, you know, the, the bottom line that the Windhorst said is, you know, they just kept saying three is better than two. Why, why would we not get three guys? So I think there was just at that point that hadn't happened, you know, and I, I think that the whole decision is viewed differently if he just comes back to Cleveland or he announces that I'm coming back to Cleveland and we're signing Chris Bosh. You know, I don't think people I think people then just look back at it and say, yeah, maybe this was a vanity project, but it wasn't a disaster. You know, I, I think right, like you said, right at the beginning, when we started talking about this, the the ultimate decision is what made the show a failure. And that's why he for at least a year, maybe two years, was very much painted as like the villain of the NBA, as were the Heat. Like yeah. that was very much the narrative that they leaned into. They broke out those like all black jerseys. Uh, it, that was like a whole that was like a whole saga of LeBron's career was like villain LeBron who left his hometown via the decision to team up in, in, with three other player or two other players yeah. and it's completely unprecedented fashion and people are like this is unfair this is <laughs> this is evil uh this is ruining the league etc um but and, and i think i think i mean that also you know that's how a lot of people felt and still feel about kd but like worse uh to some extent now and uh yeah KD's i don't situation know it's much worse let's be clear about that i agree but i think i think uh, I, LeBron leaving his hometown and be, like that was it was bad. It was bad. It works about that. People I think I think what makes the LeBron to me what makes LeBron's decision understandable is how bad those Cavs teams were. I, th- I think that can't be. Oh overrated. yeah, the like, Thunder. Was, those rosters were horrific. And I'm not saying that the Thunder. It's not like KD left a a 70 win team. I mean he he left a very good team to go to an impossibly great team. But I, I mean like with LeBron it was just like front office failure after failure after failure after failure. It's like, I feel like he should have, there should have been a little more understanding as to why he would leave Cleveland. Um, and I don't, I don't believe that had he not done the decision and just announced it as normal and signed with the heat, I think there still would have been quite a bit of brushback. I think the, the decision TV show just poured gasoline on the fire, of course, but I, I don't think people would have just been okay with it. If he had, if he had signed outright. It was also a different media landscape. Like Twitter wasn't as big. Like I like the biggest clip that I remember from that was like the Dan Lebitard show, like two and a half minute or segment of him just like losing his mind. Yeah. And I think there was a different way to, you know, like the Twitter backlash wasn't the same. And like, I don't know. Yeah, the Katie thing. I mean, I can also understand why Katie left 
the Thunder. I probably won't want to play with Russell Westbrook if I was Kevin Durant either. Yeah. Uh, but I think LeBron could have won a championship if Russell Westbrook was his second best player on the team as opposed to like Mo Williams half the time. So um, I think people are I think people are mad LeBron left Cleveland um, in the in the way that people are mad that Katie went to the Warriors specifically. Yes. Like, I think he, yeah. I don't think I like I think if LeBron had announced that he was going to go to the Bulls or the Knicks, it, it would have been similar backlash. Right. I mean, maybe not quite as bad. I. It's hard to separate the two. Certainly, I, I think leaving Cleveland in that manner is the number one reason that people were upset. But if you're if you're not a Cavs fan, why exactly were you upset? I, I think then it becomes you know, building this unfair roster, right? Then it's kind of equated to why the same, basically the same reaction that KD got when he joined the Warriors. It's building the unfair roster and it's being upset. People just having, I, I mean, before LeBron did that, obviously like the perception was like all the greats never left. Bird never left. Magic never left. Jordan never left, except when he did. Yeah. But like, Kobe attempted to leave, but was unsuccessful. Right. And um, so I think I I think the backlash was just people had this expectation of LeBron that was unfair, that he was supposed to be this like perfect. They just people just wanted him to be another perfect superstar who grinded it out. And it meant more because he was with his hometown. And when he broke that perception that people had artificially built for him, then people lost I mean, lost their minds and thought he was a bad person and hated him for it. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good way to put it. I mean, I, this is something that's going to continue to be talked about, I think, you know, probably every five to ten years, you know, when, when there's another anniversary of this. But um, it certainly hasn't aged well, that's for sure. I mean, I, I think even even as you said, we're now in this player empowerment era. We're in an era where you know, LeBron's putting out a new documentary every six months. Chris Paul has a documentary. Dwayne Wade has a documentary. Um, you know, every player is is as into self-promotion on social media as it gets. And yet the decision still looks bad in retrospect. Like that says a lot. Um, and I, yeah, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. But uh, at least I think LeBron is at least, if nothing else, now like receives credit for ushering in an era where does, guys yeah. can force force their way out, which has maybe reached a point where it's now kind of turning around and, and fans don't like that. Uh, but at the same time, um, yeah, I mean, this in terms of like non-basketball events, this is one of the most memorable things that's ever happened uh, in the NBA, especially when you when you throw out, you know, tragedy type of events. I agree. OK, uh, one more quick thing before we call it. What do you think of this idea? Um I guess it's it's advanced beyond the idea phase at this point. The the report that the NBA will allow players to use the last name or the nameplate on their jersey as a as a, as a means of of sending a message, you know, presumably for social justice. Why not? I I mean, like uh, you know, I uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the NBA, for lack of a better term, polices that. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of like what is a, what you can say and what you can't say, uh, but I think I think it's fine. You know, um, I think I don't. I wouldn't expect this to continue beyond this playoffs or beyond this season. Um, 
but I can see the NBA doing this now and then trying to, I guess, over the offseason, try to find a, a, a different way to do the same thing, but it just doesn't involve uh, mm-hmm. the blast name coming off the jersey. So they'll also be putting Black Lives Matter on the court, uh, which I, I think is kind of a no-brainer. I, I have seen, I was a little surprised how much pushback I've seen from you know NBA Twitter people, more or less, on yeah, kind of the suggestion that a lot of this rings hollow. You know, the NBA is allowing players to do this, but at the end of the day, it's it's more about the attention that it brings to the league or, you know, kind of in a backwards way doing this, you know, as, as a, a gesture of goodwill, but also knowing that it makes the league look good. I, I don't know. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, there's realistically, there's only so much you can do when you're also trying to maintain a normal game environment or as normal uh, as it can get. I, I think, the, you know, if, you, if I, I'm sure a lot of the players just won't do anything with the back of their jersey. Some guys, you know, either don't feel that strongly about it or just feel like that's not enough or really not something that can make a difference. But but other guys will. And I, I think Spencer Dinwiddie, who you know now we know might not even be there, I, I think he said he's going to put trillion on the back of his jersey because he's number 26. And I, I guess 26 trillion is the number on the national debt. Oh, so it's going to be maybe it's going to be more than just outright that. Black Lives Matter things. Uh, I would that was unexpected. You just hit me with that out of nowhere. Um, yeah. yeah, you can take it. I uh, I, <laughs> I didn't know we were doing national debt state. Oh, we also have no, news. Mark Stein. Sorry to cut you off. This is very big news. Mark Stein says that the NBA will play the national anthem before all games at Walt Disney World. That's a lot. That could be. That's going to be seven national anthems per day on some days. <laughs> uh, be, I think it'd only be news if they didn't play the national anthem, right? I mean, who's gonna? Are people gonna sing it? Is Jerry Stackhouse gonna be here to sing every single national anthem? Uh, Fergie. For every oh, she's out of work right now, right? I don't know, man. I'm, I'm pretty sure the Black Eyed Peas have moved on without her. Wow. I, well, that's that's neither here nor there, but continue to shatter my worldview. Yeah, I'm a little surprised. I mean, I get obviously there's a lot of tradition in singing the national anthem. That's something they do during normal NBA games. That's something they would do if it was a normal playoffs. Uh, but I, did, I just feel like you're like, would anybody have complained if they didn't do it? You know, like this, I feel like this just kind of brings maybe another opportunity for potential controversy for the league. I don't think they're going to, yeah, I mean, if, if players kneel and whatnot, I mean, I don't anticipate the NBA doing anything about that, but I, I also know, like, I think hearing the national anthem and like that, that moment before the game can get players like hyped up. Um, it can be very emotional. So like, I can understand not wanting to take that away, but I don't think the NBA will do anything about it if a player decides to make a statement during the national anthem. So I, I mean, I don't really view it as news that they're going to play it before every game, personally. So Adam Silver was asked directly about the potential for players kneeling. Um, the question was, will players be allowed to kneel during the National Anthem in Orlando? And Adam Silver's quote was as follows. Again, I'm not comfortable with the word allowed. I think, you know, we've had a rule on our books that goes back to the early 80s. It precedes even David Stern's tenure as commissioner that calls for players to stand in a line at attention during the national anthem. I also understand the role of the protests, and I think we'll deal with that situation when it presents itself. 
So that's about as much of a non-answer as it gets. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't have a huge problem with that. At the same time, I the you know the the way that the league has handled these things in the past, like can he not just say like we're not going to police this? I mean, it, there's no way that the NBA like if LeBron kneels down during the national anthem before Lakers Clippers on July 30th, it's not like the NBA is going to find him or suspend him. Like that's I I just don't I don't see a way that the NBA could get away with that in terms of, you know, even, even if there are power brokers or owners in the league that, that just cannot stand players kneeling for whatever reason, uh, like the league is essentially powerless to stop the players. Right. Oh, I, I just, it's weird because you would think uh, Adam Silver having like a very non answer about this and kind of daring the players to do it in a way, not daring them to do it, but like not giving them a very clear, like, you know, what's going to happen if you do versus whatever. It's, it's very like, not, uh, it doesn't seem to align with like the other NBA, the, the other stances the NBA has taken on various other issues. Right. Like this seems like a very weird, um, like it doesn't feel like it fits with the brand, like Adam Silver's statement, I guess Mm -hmm. to get kind of metal with it, but um, I'm with you where I, I'm not sure what they would do if a player decided to kneel. I'm sure they would right. encourage, I'm sure they would encourage them to do a, a t- maybe other stuff at different times or maybe something else instead of kneeling during that time. But it definitely seems like Adam Silver wants them to stand during the national anthem, but is fine yes. with a plenty of other stuff, which is, and I don't know how much that has to do with, you know, the NBA is, is very like veteran friendly and very military friendly, you know, during like, I mean, anyone who's been to an NBA game is probably, uh, although it's probably most sporting events, almost every sporting event at this point, like NBA, NFL, MLB, the veteran, you, you, the they do like an honorary veteran oh, yeah. who's at the game or during the, I remember the, it's not called the rookie sophomore game, but like the whole front row of the, of the baseline is, is veterans um or people currently in the military so like i'm sure their mba is i I guess my final thought is they're trying to walk the line here and they don't want to they want to appease as many different parties as possible because they don't want to create the same kind of controversy that the nfl is dealing with obviously very true i was just surprised like that's the answer that quote you you think came from roger goodell you know it it just seemed like a very yeah it seemed like an opportunity that usually the nba would seize and say our players can do whatever we want. We support them. I, I just thought it was odd, given how progressive the NBA typically paints itself, uh, that that Silver would say that. But uh, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think there are certainly motivations um, that that you know would preclude the league from doing that. Uh, that probably relate back to the amount of money that the league is both making and saving uh, by returning to play in Orlando. Which, by the way, I don't have a problem with. You know, I know the, I know some people have had an issue with the league kind of skirting around it and not explicitly saying. Hey, a big a big motivation for the comeback is money. Uh, I don't I don't think the league needs to say that. I think it's implied, um, and I I guess I don't I don't have a big issue with that as long as both sides are on board. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's just one of those things that everybody kind of knows, right? Like, does the NBA have to come out and be like, yeah, we're doing this for money? Like, they can like when they say. You, you can't really go to like any if you see like an NBA statement like on Twitter or just in an article where they're like, we're doing this because sports brings people together. Everyone, you know, everyone in the comments is going to be like, yeah, but it's really about the money. So like, I, right. like, I think everyone knows 
but like it would also be weird for the NBA to just come out and be like, we're doing this for profits. And well, right, exactly. I feel like I don't think if you're the league, you don't ever want to say that out loud. True as it may be, even if everybody knows it, it's a bad look to say it. But it's now become this like moral high ground to be the guy who quote tweets Dave McMenamin and says, well, we all know this is only for money. And you know, then <laughs> a bunch of other NBA bloggers are like, yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't know. I, I get that there are risks, but and the NBA said that. I think they've been great about being upfront and saying we understand there are risks. We understand players are going to test positive, um, and as long as the players are majority on board, I don't. I don't think the NBA has some deep obligation not to go forth with this. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, that's. I think I think you said it. All right. Let's end it on that. Uh, we, we may sneak in another episode this week uh, if, if there's enough news to to warrant one. Uh, but if not, make sure you you check out our forthcoming piece on on the games we'll be keeping an eye on at the end of July. Uh, rest of season projections were pushed live earlier today, so you can check those out. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to make tweaks to those over the next few weeks, and once we find out, you know, which guys are there, which guys you know might still be dealing with injuries, things like that. Uh, but you know, if we if we don't put down another episode before the weekend, everyone have a happy Fourth of July, and we'll be back next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.